get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods. Welcome to the Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and this is our first show for September of 2018. And it's that time of year where the nights start to get a little cooler, and at least up here in New Hampshire, the leaves start to change color uh, this time of year. Given that there's a bright red maple leaf on your flag, I also have to assume that the, the leaves change color up in Canada. Am I correct, Dustin? Yeah, it does get a little colder, but right now it's 88, feeling like 104 outside. Eh. So we'll kind of look at it in the future as to, you know, getting a little bit cooler. But yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Well, now, given those temperatures, it's perfectly fine for us to talk about Florida. And as August gave way to September in Florida, well, I mean, you knew what time of year it was, or you knew it was August in Orlando, because that was when the billboards went up. For Halloween Horror Night and and Mickey's Not So Scary along I-4. Though this year, I'm kind of intrigued what Universal has chosen to do, at least for the start of September, isn't necessarily dive straight into horror. In fact, they're over in the Harry Potter world. They've got the Back to Hogwarts event. What is that about, Dustin? Yeah, but what we're looking at is not just a, a classic... Universal Parks and Resorts marketing thing. It's actually a a Harry Potter fan community event that came up and has actually been celebrating on September 1st for a number of years now. Now, when we look at it, the the Back to the Hogwarts event, it's held in, in London at King's Cross Station which is apparently where Platform 9 and 3 quarters uh, is supposedly located. That's where students, uh, when they were heading back to school at Hogwarts, would catch the Hogwarts Express. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, folks who gathered at King's Cross got, got something extra special, didn't they? Or Yeah, there was always all these little surprises. And, you know, I think uh, we were seeing uh, Eddie Redmayne and Jude Law, who were the stars of the second Fantastic Beast film, The Crimes of Gindo- uh, Grindelwald. I can never say that correctly, but it's all good. Uh, <laughs> um, they show up and say hi and, and kind of get all in with this event. Well, and it certainly doesn't hurt that the Crimes of Grindelwald is it's opening in November. So, hey, they're showing up to do a little promo. Of course, there's always going to be those little hashtags at the end of all of their Instagram feeds. Now, it would have been nice to have that sort of thing happen at, say, the Hog, Hogsmeade Village in either Hollywood or Orlando. But as I understand it, the Back to Hogwarts Day at the Universal Orlando event, they just had a social media meetup. Yeah, but if someone actually showed up, if any of our Universal Joint listeners were there, definitely let us know. We'd love to hear if there were um, official or non-official things going on, because that would be very cool to see. I agree. And of course, for those of us who couldn't make it down to Orlando, over to London, Sci-Fi staged a Back to Hogwarts movie marathon this weekend, starting on Sunday the 2nd. And and I guess it rolled right through Labor Day here in the States, and they, they showed all eight of the Harry Potter movies. And the way that movie marathon ties into what's going on at the Universal Orlando Resort is, is sci-fi, of course, is, is owned by NBC Universal, which back in August of 2016 paid buku bucks. We're talking a quarter of a billion dollars to acquire the exclusive broadcast rights to all of the Harry Potter movies, which, again, previously were owned by Disney and run over it 
ABC Family and then when it was rebranded to Freeform. And they also acquired the uh, broadcast rights to what will eventually be all five of the Fantastic Beast movies. Did you see back on, uh, it was June 15th, Universal City Studios filed the name Fantastic Worlds with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Now, the rumor that's making the rounds within the themed entertainment uh, industry is that Universal Parks and Resorts wants to actually use this name for that fourth theme park that they're building up by Orange County Convention Center because at least one land at Fantastic Worlds will celebrate the character stories and settings featured in that Fantastic uh, Beasts film. Uh, speaking of trademarks and patents, if you can hang in there till the tail end of the show... Dustin has been out there doing his homework and chased down some very interesting information about some some other patents and trademarks that Universal has grabbed. But anyway, back to back to Hogwarts. I, I do learn from the best. Let's be honest. Right. There's no one better at trying to you know sneak out some of these scoops than yourself. That's actually Mr. Testa's territory. I I'm the one who you know burrows through old newspapers and magazines. He's the one who's out prowling in the file drawers of the patent office, and and I promise to visit him in prison when they catch him. <laughs> Uh, getting back to the Universal Orlando Resort, they intend on keeping the back-to-school fun going past Labor Day, which is why on four Fridays in September, they're going to be staging group photo ops, class pictures, if you will, at specific locations around the Wizarding World. Now, as I understand it, September 7th at 2 p.m., you know, people will be gathering at the Hogwarts Express in Hogsmeade Village, which is, of course, in Islands of Adventure. September 14th, now this is at 12.45 p.m., not 2. They'll be gathering at the Triwizard Stage, again, Hogsmeade Village, and again, that's it, Islands Adventure. Now, a week later, September 21st, we now have a 12 noon meetup, and it's going to be at the on the Carket Market Stage, where Celestine performs along with the, the Beatle the Bard show, but that's in Diagon Alley. The final photo op is going to be on September 28th at 2 p.m., this is actually outside of Diagon Alley by the night bus. And again, that's at, at Universal Studios. Now, what Universal would love people to do, because they're, they're going to blast these photos all over the place, is they want people to show up in garb that represents their favorite house at Hogwarts. And which actually brings me to one of my favorite stories about Hogsmeade Village. The story here is that new land at Universal Islands Adventure opened June of 2010. Mm -hmm. So it's now September 2010. And, and staff of the Three Broomsticks begins to notice that every afternoon at around three, this trio of, of kids who are dressed in robes come in, order butterbeer, and then settle down into a corner table at the restaurant. And... But what's interesting is that they've got book bags and they open their book bags. And as they're sipping their butterbeer, they're clearly working on homework. And it's like, oh, well, that's that's interesting. But it goes on for weeks. For a while, they're like, well, OK, so it's one of those families from the UK who come over mm -hmm. to the States and will spend two weeks on vacation. But now it's three weeks, four weeks, and it's like eccentric millionaires? You know, <laughs> what is the deal here? And the story is, these are actually evidently freshman students at Dr. Phillips Academy, which you know is literally across the street from the Universal mm -hmm. Orlando Resort. And evidently, they were such great devotees of 
potter that when this opened up, it's like, well, of course, you know, they we're looking for a quiet place close to school where we can go to study. And it's like, it's hey, we got this universe. We'll just pick a quiet corner of three broomsticks and, and work there. And I just love that these kids were so into the Potter experience that this became their favorite study location. This was their Starbucks. There we go. So, <laughs> You know what? I, I'm pretty sure that I've sat at the same table that these kids were at. It's right out back. You get the look of the castle. It's pretty quiet back there. We would go out there whenever we're on vacation. We needed time to get away. We'd go back there and grab our, our cheesy Instagram photos with the butter beer and, and just kind of get away from it all. It's really quiet back there. So I don't blame them at all. I guess at some point, eventually, you know, somebody stepped in and said, we're really pretty. And, but and more to the point, they're annual pass holders. They're locals and, you know, annual pass holders. So, but it was just sort of like, you know, do we really need these tables for paying customers? And the fact that you bought one butter beer and are now nursing it for two hours while you you study trig, that's not going to cut it. And so they eventually sent them on their way. But meanwhile, on the other hand, I mean, think about it. We have these fan meetups now. We've got these group photo ops. But of course, not all of us are going to can. Well, we've missed the social media thing, which was today. And yeah. I'm probably not going to be able to make those four photo ops in September. So how can I get in on this fun? There's a lot of different ways that Universal Orlando are actually trying to capture this fandom and allow them to come back into the parks and in different other ways. So it's the, the back to Hogwarts fun. So this involves when you actually head into Universal Studios, you pick up a back to Hogwarts scavenger hunt map. That's right. They're, they're going paper with this, which means I want to see this because it's going to be incredibly well detailed. And then what they do is you, you go on a photo safari around Hogsmeade Village and Diagon Alley. Now, when you actually get to Universal Studios, you can stop in. It's a free scavenger map, which is huge. You can get them by dropping by the Wiseacres Wizarding Equipment uh, shop in Diagon Alley or at the Universal Studios store, which is located near the front of the park. That's in Universal Studios, Florida. When you're over in IOA, Islands of Adventure, you can pick up the free map at Filch's Emporium of Confiscated Goods in Hogsmeade uh, Village or at the Islands of Adventure Trading Company, which is also located near the front of that park. Got it. And, and of course, if, if you're actually going to the park and you're wearing your robes and you're wearing your house colors, you're going to want to hang on long enough in the wizarding world uh, of Hogsmeade Long enough to catch the nighttime lights of Hogwarts, which began its run at the park earlier this summer and is continuing on in the fall for limited dates. Uh, And just to review here, this is that projection mapping show we've talked about that celebrates the four houses of Hogwarts, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Slytherin, and Gryffindor. And it does this through imagery and colored lights. I mean, you can watch the Slytherin snake wrap itself around the castle. It's, it's got some cool stuff. And you and, you and I both did that, though. So yep. when we were down there towards the end of April, early May, mm-hmm. it was two different nights. So when you were there, you got to experience the, the media mm-hmm. sensation of it, uh, of it all and seeing the amazing crowds that came out there. But I think what's going to be really great is that the longer that that as soon as you get out of summer, you get this opportunity to really explore after dark because the parks empty out a lot earlier. 
You're not going to have to deal with the crazy heat in the evening. When you go in after dark, you get a chance to really explore. So that's why the fact that the light show is going to be presented from the 2nd of September through until the 6th, starting at dusk and then continuing through till park close. I think it's presented every 15, 20 minutes or so, but it won't be presented on the 7th. Then it'll go from September 8th through until the 15th. Now, here's my question, though, is that when we're looking at this this event going on in Hogsmeade Village with the castle, is this a great way for universal guests who are not going to Halloween Horror Nights, basically giving them the opportunity to still be in the parks after dark without seeing all the, the setup and such going on at the other park? Well, to be honest, I've just sort of cracked open the schedule for Universal and for the month of September I mean for example the entire week from say if we start on Saturday the 8th all the way through the 14th and the 15th yeah it looks like to compensate it opens at 9 a.m. and closes at 9 p.m. so when you figure dusk 7 something like that so yeah again with the show running every 15 minutes or so you have the opportunity, a number of opportunities to catch this show. I would suggest the later, the better, because again, there's some wonderful effects they do. They, they, for example, the forest around you takes on the colors of the individual houses. And to get the most of this show, you really want it to be as dark as possible. So yeah. I'm thinking, especially ahead of daylight savings times, head over there around eight, just to get you know, mm-hmm. maximum dark now. And with the exception of the Friday the 7th, looks like it'll be presented, the schedule we have in hand for the nighttime lights for Hogwarts continues through September 15th. And speaking of September 15th, did you see what they revealed, the announcement that came out on August 16th? Hmm. So if we're looking August 16th, Hmm. what's going on in August 16th? Well, you know, that was when they had this mandatory meeting uh, among the cast and the crew of Sinbad's, uh, the 8th Voyage of Sinbad's show. And that's when they told the the group, the team there, that the very last presentation of this stunt show, which has been running at that park since since Islands opened back in May of 1999, they're going to do their last show on the 15th. It's sad for the cast. It's sad for everyone who was there on open. Mm. But I think that's one of the things in Owls of Adventure that I never actually either saw or stayed all the way through. It was a sun show. I think Len was the one who made the joke that he compared it to... It was the entertainment equivalent of a colonoscopy that once every 10 years <laughs> was enough. Yep. I liked the craft of it. It was it was a very elaborate theater, and it was built around the stunts that they were going to do for that particular show. The the free fall into fire, and you know it was a wonderful bit where Sinbad's comic sidekick was sort of you know yanked backwards off stage, literally pulled through the air in a second. And the individual moments were, were great fun. But let's be honest here: for eight years now, since into the Wizarding World Hogsmeade first opened at Islands. There has been talk about how the Wizarding World will continue to walk down the hill at Lost Continent and swallow more turf. And on the heels of, of pulling down the old Dueling Dragons, and which then became Dragon Challenge and is now the Forbidden Forest coaster that's going to be opening next summer, so where do you go to next? You know, obviously, where you go to next 
you move down the hill to Sinbad. And I have to tell you, Dustin, the story I have heard, in fact, the very first time I heard this proposed attraction mentioned was at the press event back in July 2010 for the, for the opening of the initial version of Theme Park with the Theme Park Wizarding World. And what they talked about was, wouldn't you love to ride the Whomping Willow? Wouldn't you love to be, mm -hmm. you know, it sort of would be this park's version of Dumbo, you know, be some sort of a spinner and you'd ride in the arms. And for those of you who know the story, the Harry Potter stories, you know that you know, the way you get to the Shrieking Shack, at least from uh, the campus of Hogwarts School of you know, Witchcraft and Wizardry, is there's a tunnel under the Whomping Willow. And so, as I understand it, the plan is that they're going to sort of reverse engineer that, that what you're going to see, because, and because the Shrieking Shack is an abandoned house in Hogsmeade Village. Mm -hmm. So the notion is, I guess, is that they're going to build the Shrieking Shack, which is going to serve as the entrance to the Whomping Willow, that you'll go through some sort of ADA tunnel. And again, it's wonderful for Florida because they will keep you out of the rain and keep you cool. <laughs> and then you come up under the Whomping Willow, there'll be the, they load on the attraction, and then somehow they'll exit you through the gift shop. That's supposedly the plan, as I've, been told but again remember plans change and they've been talking about this in 2010 so uh, yeah maybe it'll happen maybe it won't the thing that i'd be very interested to see is that so looking at google maps mm. and i i'm a huge fan of doing the google map 3000 foot look down and and you see that the reason why people may not know about the location that you're speaking of the voyage of sinbad stunt show is because people think that lo the lost continent itself is just Poseidon's fury. So they come around that corner and they're looking straight ahead. They see um, the Fire Eaters grill and then they're heading in a, a beeline straight to Hogwarts. So this show, I don't know what the, the hourly capacity is. It looks like a really solid theater, but it's kind of in the middle of, uh, or it's off the beaten path. So I don't know if it's going to be that the Sinbad show is the first to go and then Poseidon's Fury, but that's a people eater. And I don't know if they're also going to take out Mythos at that exact same breath because the Lost Continent is its own island. Mm. So if you have this new growth of the Harry Potter, the, the story that keeps growing and growing, do they grow over towards Mythos and Poseidon's Fury or do they go back? First of all, I keep hearing that Mythos is off the table, largely because it's been voted the number one favorite theme park restaurant in Orlando for multiple years. Yeah. And when you think about the number of people who come to the parks who've, who've gotten engaged or who've had an anniversary dinners, we're a while away before Mythos goes off the table. On the other hand, yeah, Poseidon's Fury, maybe. Whenever I've talked with anybody at Universal Creative about it, what they seem to want to do with that particular show building is they, mm -hmm. they want to use it to do a Chamber of Secrets based show. They want to get guests in that space and have them be there for the moment when Harry is doing battle with the Basilisk. The problem is there's, there's so much great stuff that was put in place specifically for Poseidon's Fury that I think they'd like mm -hmm. to recycle. So 
We'll see. But we we are at this mentality in this time within Universal where they do want to monetize all of their various intellectual property venues. And if we're looking at Poseidon's Fury and Sinbad, I can't even like I'm at that point where I have to go back and try and remember what Sinbad was because we're not talking about the comedian. We're talking about the the show. And a lot of the, the younger generation haven't been introduced by way of a new Sinbad or even what anything in this land is about. Now, as soon as you go through, there are some amazing details. and the, But the details are things that someone has to explain to you. And that's that may be a, a stretch that they may get rid of something like Poseidon. I don't think it will happen anytime soon. But I don't know if you can call it the Lost Continent with mythos and Poseidon's fury just by itself. If you actually look at the Disney parks, how big is Liberty Square? And it's literally just one attraction and, well, all right. (laughs) Haunted Mansion, yes, sure, sort of. But Liberty Square really is just Hall of Presidents and the Liberty and Tavern. But yeah, I completely understand. It's a small, and it's all about the environment that you go into. And I'm sure that if the Wizarding World of Harry Potter kind of takes over the, the stunt show land that they would do something to increase the story. And, you know, speaking of increasing the story and having the story change year to year, segue to the next thing that's coming up is the Halloween Horror Nights. Yep. Right. It's Halloween Horror Night 28, if you can believe it. That's just crazy. <laughs> Seems like just yesterday. And and this year, it's the biggest. They just announced 10 houses. Just in the past week, they revealed they're adding two more nights, Wednesday, September 19th, and Wednesday, September 26th, which extends the run of this hard ticket to 34 days. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, Mickey's Not So Scary also is being presented for 34 nights, but that started back on August 17th. And that's also up from the 32 nights that they presented it in 2017. Speaking of 2017, that's when Warner Brothers, studio tour out in in Hollywood, they launched their very own seasonal horror event. It was called Horror Made Here, a festival of frights. And this was that Burbank-based attractions attempt to get into the seasonal attraction business. And now last year... Warner Brothers only featured this Halloween Horror Nights event. Uh, They ran it for six nights. Clearly must have been a success. So because for the 2018 season, they're now holding it for 13 nights. And opening weekend is going to be October 5th and 6th. They're going to do longer run the weekend after that. It'll be starting on Friday the 12th and run through Sunday the 14th. Weekend after that, they extend the run out starting on Thursday, so it's October 18th through Sunday the 21st. And then it's closing weekend, again, is a Thursday through Sunday run, October 25th through the 28th. But nothing on on the actual night of Halloween. But again, Warner Brothers is a working studio. But this event's going to feature dark mazes, which is why they stress for the event it's a 13 and up kind of a thing. And they're going to have Dark Maces themed around it, which, of course, was Warner Brothers' big hit based on the giant Stephen King book. They're also doing an Arkham Asylum walkthrough with the Joker from Batman. There's also an Exorcist attraction, something based on the Conjuring series of movies. 
and a, a version of the tram tour where you get to see recreations of scene from what happened to baby Jane and visit the house where the house of wax was. And then it ends with a trip to Crystal Lake. And it may seem weird to us be talking about a Warner's Brothers thing as part of a universal podcast, but hear me out. There's, there's a reason for this because this potentially is going to impact Universal Studios Hollywood and Universal Studios Orlando, their Halloween Horror Night events, mm -hmm. because evidently Warner Brothers is going to start holding back its IP because now it's got its own event. So how is that going to impact Halloween Horror Nights at the Universal Parks? Well, for starters, this year, you know, you've got that trick-or-treat house that they're doing, which was based on the movie that Warner Brothers put out in 2007. Mm -hmm. And then last year, Halloween Horror Nights had three different mazes that were based on Warner Brothers properties. They had, you know, the one that was, of course, based on Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Have you actually ever read the, the book The Shining or... I have. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. I think, you know, the weird thing is people who've seen the movie love the movie. People who've read the book yeah. really don't like the Kubrick version. But, again, I recognize them in the minority there. But, again, Warner Brothers made that movie back in, in 2008. Likewise, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was released by New Line Pictures, which its parent company is Warner Brothers. And then they had the Nightmare on Elm Street. So think about it. If Warner's is going to start holding back the theme park rights to its IPs. So it has then to use them as exclusives for Horror Made Here, Festival of Frights. I mean, don't get me wrong, Universal does a lot of its own original IPs. In fact, the very last thing that got announced for this year's Halloween Horror Nights for, for Orlando, the Scary Tales, mm -hmm. where it's the, the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz is taking all these fairy tales and you know make, put the characters in very dark places. So they're, they're really good at, at creating their own stuff, but they have, for the last five years or so, you know, really relied on the, the IPs to get people through the door. And I wonder, is this going to force them to maybe go in some different directions? When we're looking at adding another offering in Hollywood, mm. so Hollywood already has, a, has the three big players. So you have Disney, you have Universal, and then you have Knots. Disneyland and Knots are maybe five to ten miles apart, where if you're talking about mm -hmm. Disney and Universal, you're talking, you know, on the California highway system, a good hour, maybe two. Yeah, but the, the reason why I brought up the three mm -hmm. was because it's a mix between the IPs and the intellectual properties that are coming together, but also the staffing. Because out in Hollywood, you have a very dedicated group of actors that come together and set aside their entire September and October specifically for these Halloween events. And as soon as you bring in another player, granted it is only, you know, a couple of select nights, but as that grows in popularity, people will start to have to make decisions on which projects they're going to be working on. It's a different side of how this is growing. And obviously, competition always makes this type of experience better. And Halloween, in my opinion, is, is probably one of my favorite holidays out there because of the creativity. See, now you're making me feel bad that there's this wonderful event that Rick West and, and a lot of the folks do out and get of this, you know, this Halloween event community. Uh, it's called Scare L.A., 
they've been doing it uh, since 2013, and it's it's this sort of celebration of these Halloween events and you know the people who make them happen. And now you make me think I really should have attended that, and this is probably the question <laughs> I should have asked. But doubling back to Universal, though, now if Universal had to think differently about horror. How would it do it? When the Wizarding World Harry Potter Diagon Alley opened for the Halloween Horror Night of that year, they wouldn't let event attendees in to Diagon Alley because the belief was it's like, look, that's this is this is family friendly in here, and that's a scary adult event going on outside. So they really don't mix. So they, you know, they shut it down. And the interesting thing is, a lot of people complained, particularly for locals who will buy the frequent fear pass. So they can get in there multiple nights and know, you know, it's like, great, you can go to the park on a night where, you know, a lot of people aren't necessarily looking to do Harry Potter and the Escape from Green Guts. And this was off the table. So Halloween Horror Nights 2015, it's now open to everyone. And did you pay attention to, at all to what they do at Universal Studios Japan when it comes to the Wizarding World? Because they do some crazy stuff over there that has just not happened at the stateside parks? Well, they're they're realizing that Harry Potter is, it is fr- family friendly, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but there are parts to that universe that are really, really creepy and really scary. Well, yeah. So when you look at the creative mentality that goes into putting together Halloween Horror Nights, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you bring something like the Death Eaters yeah. or the Dementors. And it's interesting you bring this up because August of 2016, they introduced a Death Eater attack at the Wizarding World, uh, the Japanese version of Wizarding World. And then in, in March of 2017, they did a Dementors attack where literally they had, you know, a giant Dementor on a rooftop attacking a wizard. I mean, it was some amazing stuff, which again, if you wanted to say in corporate that into Diagon Alley, or, or well, obviously it's got to be a Diagon Alley because these days the Halloween Horror Nights is strictly a Universal Studios Florida thing. But, but here's mm-hmm. the thing: if they were to move in a more family-friendly direction, mm-hmm. think about it. This year, we're seeing for the very first time a Stranger Things maze. In fact, to be honest, if you look at the T-shirts, if you look at the posters, if you look at how Universal's advertising this edition, Stranger Things is front and center. It's the marquee attraction, not only in Orlando, but in Hollywood and Singapore. Mm-hmm. And this Netflix series has a huge 12 and, f- and under fan base. And, and I want to state right up front here, it's Shelly Karen. She's the theme park insider from icflorida.com, which is the website component of WFTV and WRDQ in Orlando. She's also the powerhouse behind On The Go and MCO. Full disclosure, Shelly's a dear friend of my, myself and Nancy, but Ms. Karen is the one who, who pointed this out to me, that Stranger Things being folded into Halloween Horror Nights may result in lots of kids in Central Florida turning to their parents and saying, I want to go to Universal and check out that maze. The language that Universal has been using to promote this particular maze is that it will celebrate the first season of Stranger Things. That suggests to me, come Halloween 2019, we're likely to see a maze that celebrates the second season of Stranger Things. Kind of how Universal Halloween Horror Nights did all of those successive years of Walking Dead mazes that managed to incorporate scenes and characters that have been seen in the most recent season. 
I can't help but notice that later this month, Universal Pictures will be releasing The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Uh, that it's going to be out in theaters on September 21st. And that this Eli Ross film, and yes, that Eli Ross, the, the cabin fever guy, he's making a family-friendly fantasy that, yes, has some, some horror-related elements. So if Stranger Things turns out to be this huge draw at this year's Halloween Horror Nights, and if park officials notice a significant number of families who are making special trips to this hard ticket event just so their kids can experience a maze that's based on this Netflix series, do you think it's possible that Halloween Horror Nights night might start incorporating more family-friendly events? Because it's a big leap, especially when you think about how much they make off of the 18 years and older crowd just off of alcohol sales. Absolutely. And the, the 18 to 34-year-old market is huge, but it's the 30 to 45 market that grew up with Halloween Horror Nights. Mm-hmm. And knowing that that is a, a name that they trust and they, you know, have wanted to go for go to see the experience that now all of a sudden they're looking forward to taking their kids to experience the same thing that they did. Now, granted, you're not going to see families like with young, young kids. That's that's not what we're talking. We're saying that there's a chance that you can see all out families go to Halloween Horror Nights and have exclusive experiences that could incorporate all of these various things that are being drawn for younger i'd say young adults not not kids we're talking you know the the 13 to 17 year olds some of of what i've speculated here face it house with a clock uh, in the walls would have to be a fairly significant box office success to to then be considered for fodder for a future Halloween Horror Night maze. But just because a film doesn't necessarily do as well as the box office as Universal wanted doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's off the table for an attraction. Universal Creative, at one time, and we're talking eh, mid to late 90s here, they had a Casper the Friendly Ghost attraction planned. The gimmick of this this attraction is that you'd come up to Whipstaff Manor. This is the house that Casper haunted in that 1995 Universal Picture release, which was based on their Harvey Entertainment character. Now, what was really cool about this proposed attraction, Dustin, is that when you got to the load area, a bed that had sort of seats set into it, you let yourself in, and they told everybody in each position you had a bedpost, and you were told, hang on to the bedpost. So you start to move through Whipstaff Manor, and eventually what you begin to realize is, depending on who grabs their bedpost first and bending it, they control which direction this vehicle is going to go in. You know, it was going to be Universal's first multi-track interactive attraction. The whole notion was that you'd go from haunted room to haunted room and eventually get back to the station and sort of in a Indiana Jones adventure kind of a thing, you'd compare notes with friends and go, well, which room did you go to? And it's like, oh, man, you know, you, you got a different ride than I do. And you'd get back in the line. Now, I, I still love the fact that Casper the Friendly Ghost, like the 95 version, that was with Devin Sawa, mm-hmm. who went on to star in some of the my favorite movies of the, the 90s and 2000s with Wild America and all these. Other, but he also starred in Final Destination, yeah. which was set in a theme park. Mm-hmm. So I look at like that kind of time frame 
That would just be so cool. It's always interesting to watch folks grow up and end up in different things. But anyway, speaking of multi-tracks, Destin and I are about to cleave this this podcast in two so we can squeeze in a word from our sponsors. So if you could please hang in there, we'll be right back. And we're back. A little while back, we were talking about Dustin doing some great detective work and digging down into things that were being patented. And, well, let's start with the obvious. Emeralds Orlando closed back on July 7th, and you and I have been talking about, well, what might possibly go in to replace that Universal City Walk restaurant? And you believe you have chased down, or at least we now know the name of what might go in there. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be called Big Fire Grill. Now, keep in mind, as soon as a trademark is put out there, they don't actually list where it's going to be. It's not like a building permit. It just says that Universal has registered this name. It's how we, we went out and found uh, a bunch of things in the past that has been you know talked about. Rumors start with these types of things. So... Is it going to be in that specific location? Well, everything's kind of pointing to yes. The construction that's going into, like, that's going on right now as we're recording this is a lot of internal stuff. But as soon as you got the main area, the dining room and such, and you bring it down to just the, the concrete, then you can start to play. Now, because Universal has registered this trademark, that means that they're probably not going to be going outside to have someone run this themselves. Kind of like they did with, well, basically every other spot on, on CityWalk, especially with um, like Voodoo Donuts, where they brought in a third party operating participant. It looks like they're going to be running it themselves. Now, do we know the food? That's up in the air, but a steakhouse wouldn't be bad. Now, speaking of running, let's talk about the other trademark that you discovered. All right. So very similar to the uh, the Big Fire Grill, there was something that kind of caught our eyes, uh, and it's something called Running Universal. Now, Running Universal is a trademark that was put through as of July the 30th, and it states that it's going to be athletic and sports event services, namely arranging, organizing, operating, and, t- and conducting running events and running races. That sounds very familiar. It does. It uh, does. Now, I want to stress here before somebody chimes in and says, oh, that must be related to the UO Fun Run, which is the 5K that the Universal Orlando Resort has been running since 2016. The very next one of these is going to be held December 1st of 2018. In fact, I guess registration is closed at this point because it's very popular. More to the point, it's very affordable. It's got a a $30 entrance fee, but I thought you'd be intrigued by the route. You literally start in sort of the port of entry section of Island's Adventure, and then you hang the right and you actually then go backstage, you're out behind Hulk, and you only come in back into the park after running on backstage roads after you pass Dr. Droom's Fearfall. Do you then start to run through? You're running through Cartoon Lagoon, you go through Jurassic Park, you loop through 
Hogsmeade Village and down through Lost Continent, out through Seuss's Landing. And then what's kind of cool is you then run through the sound stages mm -hmm. and then come out running down toward the front of the entrance of Universal Studio Florida. And then you run up all the way around Transformers and then you end up on New York Street, running past the Mummy, all the way through San Francisco, past Fast and Furious, Supercharged, past the London waterfront, and you go all the way around the Fear Factor building, which, given all the questions we have about what's going on with Fear Factor at, at Universal Studio Florida, that, that'd be very interesting to take a look at. Mm -hmm. And then it's basically a straight shot. You run through... Springfield, USA, you head past the, you know, the animal actors, animal actors, and then you then head off stage again. You run back behind E.T., you're in a production area, and then you're back out basically in City Walk, and you run to the finish line, which is located by Hard Rock Live. It sounds like this really fun 5K, but again, that's not what running Universal seems to be. Near as you and I can figure... This is Universal deciding that they're going to get into the same space that Disney has been in since January of 1994 with its, its Walt Disney World Marathon, which, by the way, back in the day had a $50 entry fee, which compared to the $185 that people are paying to get into the marathon for this year or for the 2019 one, slight step up in cost. Just a little bit, but I think what we're looking at is is the potential for more activities that are geared towards people who are really going out there for marathons. Now, granted, I run when someone's chasing me. Mm -hmm. I'm not their target demographic, but I do have friends who are in the running game. And what they do is they go from one event to the next, and they're always looking for that season to really go out and, and have some fun. They're always looking to get better times. That way they can qualify for different uh, events, be it the Boston Marathon or New York or anything like that. But there's a huge group of people who have been basically dedicated to run Disney for such a long time that this type of a thing, and granted, we haven't seen anything outside of the trademark. We don't know whether or not it's actually going to happen, but is it possible that Universal could put together a marathon-sized run in their, their current theme parks. If they were looking to do something like that, we'd have to, and even if we're talking about a half marathon, we'd have to be talking about them running out to the, the proposed site of the fourth theme park, the one that's going to be built on all that property up by the Orange County Convention Center. In fact, it... Looking at the layout of Universal Boulevard and understanding that these things typically start at six o'clock in the morning and are wrapped, you know, four and five hours down the line, it's possible they could at least come up with a, a half marathon route. But I, I think it's not so much the runners as the people who come with the runners. In fact, let me read you something from a January 16th piece that Forbes ran about Run Disney. That's it's the organization at Disney that runs all of their races. In 2014, a approximately 209,000 runners signed up for a races with another approximately 251,000 spectators. These are family members, either support team, you know, 
they came to the event. To break that down, this is a Maribeth Bessonaire, the vice president of Disney Sports Enterprise. You can talk about this. The Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend, which happens every January. More than 50,000 runners participate, but they bring 50,000 spectators with them. And so that's 100,000 people who've come to the Orlando area just for this race weekend. And of course, they need to stay, you know, they need hotel rooms to stay in. They need to buy meals and they need to buy shirts that show that they ran the race. And and when you, you add to head up to our $185 fee, and by the way, that's that was $185 for the 2018 race. Um, my understanding is it's going to cost more for the 2019. If you want to, you want to do both the 26 Point one, you know, two actual marathon plus the half marathon that I guess that's called the Goosey Goofy's Race and a Half. You pay three hundred eighty-five dollars, or if you want to do the Dopey Challenge, where you do you know, the marathon, the half marathon, the five k, the ten k, that's five hundred eighty-five dollars. I mean, don't get me wrong, you get some very cool medals. They are pretty cool. <laughs> this is a, a revenue stream that Disney has has grown into something quite considerable. And when you think about it, just in the next seven months, we've got the Disney Wine and Dine Half Marathon. That's held over the weekend, November 1st through the 4th of this year. We've got the Marathon Weekend. That's in January 9th through the 13th. The Disney Princess Half Marathon. That's February 21st through the 24th. And then the Star Wars Rival Run, which is April 4th through the 7th. Every one of these has, they'll be collecting fees. And every one of these, they'll be filling hotel rooms. And so for a universal... This is a growing resort. Just opened Aventura. We've just building Surfside and Dockside for the endless summer. We're going to want to fill those hotel rooms. An event like this helps fill those rooms. But again, that's that's what's kind of different about Disney is Disney is a maturing resort. These days, it's more about how do we make it easier for people to get in? You know, if you think about all the work that's being done with flyovers and widening roads and express bus lanes and that sort of thing, or more to the point, how do we make it more difficult for them to leave? For example, the minivans are now picking people up at Orlando Airport, you know, and it's like, and then, oh, this is cool. I'm riding in a Mickey-shaped vehicle, and I'm, wait a minute, I don't have a car here. Oh, well, I guess I have to eat well, Disney restaurant. Well, that's something that, that was brought up on um, oh, one of your most recent Disney Dish episodes with Len, you were talking about expanding the Disney bubble. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're looking at is Universal saying, we want a part of that. We're here too. And they're starting to put their money where for a long time it just wasn't there. So is it something that we're going to see? Absolutely. I, I think that a marathon is just another way to put heads in beds. Is it the only way? I don't know. All right. Well, if there are any Universal folks listening, I was there January 1994, my, my good friend Arlen Miller and I got up very, very early in the morning because we wanted to see what a Disney marathon would be like. So we were in the parking lot at Epcot, watched the fireworks go off. But, but to be honest, we watched what happened to the Disney's officials' faces when just before <laughs> the marathon started, everyone walked over to the bushes and lifted up their shorts and peed. 
And it was one of these things where it's like, you know, so they're they're peeing all over the ornamental bushes at the entrance of Epcot. And, and Disney thought, oh my God, why, why did we not think of this? So the very next year there was, I think they got every single porta potty in North America there. So it's like, please don't pee, pee in our bushes. Well, it's all about the photo ops, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, and that was the thing. It's like, don't take pictures of that. Please don't take pictures of that. And the other thing, frankly, I, I remember this very distinctly because, you know, again, people are standing there in the cold in January and they start the race. And they peel off their sweatshirt. They peel off and they throw it on the ground and run. And you have to understand that Disney initially, when they got this thing started, then they were told by the officials who ran the New York Marathon, like, look, consider your race to be successful if for your inaugural race, you get a thousand people to sign up. So they announced it in April of 1993. And by August, they actually have to cut off registration because over 8,000 people have signed up at that point. It's five minutes after the last runner has crossed the line and there are 8,000 long sleeve shirts on the ground in the Epcot parking lot. And Disney's like, can we get people? Can we pick these up? And what do we do? Do we take these to Lost and Found? Are people going to be looking for these? And there was a learning curve. So I guess that's the thing for Universal. There's going to be a learning curve, all right? If you're going to do something like this, get a couple of Disney people. Yeah, go and get your consultants. Yeah. And make sure that you go and visit some of these other marathons. Mm-hmm. Just make sure that you you have enough porta potties. That that's what we're all saying. There we go. As part of the show, we had wanted to get to talking about Aventura, or for that matter, we, we talked a little bit about Surfside Dockside, and man, there's some cool stuff coming there. But I, I want to stress here: this is our first of two shows for September of 2018, and, and Dustin and his lovely bride have a, a trip to New York to, to take care of first. But once they get back from that, and once I get back from the Halloween Horror Night press preview, we will be back with a brand new show. We'll talk about the new hotel. We'll tell you about about the mazes and all of that stuff. But for now, I hope you've enjoyed this particular episode of Universal Joint. If you have any topics for myself or Dustin that you'd like us to talk about on future shows, feel free to pass those along. But on behalf of myself and Mr. Fuse, thanks for listening. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.